Hello, everyone. My name is Jordan. Welcome to the next episode of Beyond the Sermon. This is a way for us to go beyond the weekend message through conversations, questions and answers, deep dives into topics, interviews, and practical ways to engage throughout the week. The hope is that through this series, you will be encouraged, challenged, and more equipped to be a disciple of Jesus. On this episode, I ask Nate about the last two weeks in the series The Cross and the Church. He unpacked 1 Corinthians 14, which talks about spiritual languages and prophecy. These can be confusing and controversial topics, so this was a great opportunity to explore what Paul was saying in his letter. Here's my conversation with Nate. Well, Nate, thank you for joining us today for this next episode. We're going to talk through the last couple of weeks that you've covered in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're finally getting to the end of the book. It's only been what, eight months now? <laughs> well, great, great series. Though. No, so so great. It's been so good to explore and dive deep into this culture and this context and this history of this this city that has it's carried so many parallels into um, what we're experiencing today. But in particular, what we want to cover today is two topics that can be kind of mystical or mysterious or unfamiliar for people, and that is... First, praying in tongues, and second, the gift of prophecy in in the area of spiritual gifts. So we want to circle back around and look at those two two topics. So I'm just going to dive right in. Praying in tongues, kind of an odd thing, right? <laughs> yeah. So my my first question is, it can feel really silly at first. I, I personally, I have a prayer language that I've used since I think I was in third or fourth grade, but I'd remember when I was starting, I felt absolutely dumb. <laughs> yeah. Right? So how do you know that you're not just making A, that it's not I'm not just making it up. I remember that was my first my first thought. Oh man, am I just making this up? Is this just gibberish? So is there anything that you could give us super practical about that transition from this is just nonsense to I am allowing the Holy Spirit to give voice to things that I don't even know about. Yeah. Well, Jordan, I don't think you're alone in that. Um, I've heard so many people say, I feel silly. (laughs) Am I making this up? And I think it's a really legitimate question that we have to consider. Maybe, Jordan, like, whenever there is a connection, so I want us to think broader than just tongues. And by the way, uh, I try to use the term tongues as little as possible. Sure. Yep. Is that what I mentioned? Did I say tongues? Well, just because yeah. it's, you know, it, it's just got so much baggage sure. with yeah. it from yeah. just weird things. Um, so spiritual language or that whole term glossa, mm-hmm. which would literally be translated languages. So I, I, one of the things I'll do to help not make it seem so awkward is just talk yeah. about a spiritual language would you would you just to interject? Would you say a prayer language? Would you use that, or does that carry a similar level of baggage in your experience? I don't think that carries a sim- similar level of okay, baggage. Sure. Yeah, it may be even less than a spiritual language because yeah. just imagine if you're talking to somebody who just is completely spiritually unresolved. Yeah. If you say a spiritual language, they're yeah. probably just going to look at you like, yeah. "What? A prayer language might make a little more sense sure. to them." Oh, yeah. okay, it's something you do yeah. with God. Um, so, how do we know if this is genuine or not? Well, you know, if you think about anything, just broaden out for a second. Anytime there's a a connection between the natural and the supernatural realm, Mm 
okay, or the divine in the human. There's always, there's always a part that a human being plays, and then there's the part that God plays. So let, let me just give you a couple examples. Uh, let's think about Moses, and he's leading the people out of Egypt. Uh, they're about ready to cross the Red Sea. Okay, what's Moses' part? God says, I want you to raise your staff over the Red Sea. So here's the simple thing that Moses physically does, and it's not until Moses does his part that then the sea opens up. Mm-hmm. Okay, another just series of phenomenon that people walk through. And you could go through every single miracle that Moses does, and there's always God asking him to do this. When they're ready, 40 years later, when they're ready to cross over through the Jordan River, I love this. God tells the priests to take the Ark of the Covenant and start to walk into the river. And it's when it gets to their waist, that's when the river opens up. Mm. So there's always a part that we have to play. When Jesus heals a man with a crippled hand, it's bizarre. Jesus says, I want you to stretch out your hand. Right. Well, wouldn't it make more sense if God just healed his hand and it stretched out? No, Jesus is asking him, I want you to do the little bit that you can. Mm-hmm. And then I'll meet you and do the impossible. So I'd like to think of uh, spiritual language or prayer language in that way. There's something that I have to do. God is often calling people to awkwardness. If you're Moses Hmm. and you hold up a staff over the Red Sea and nothing happens, you look strange, Mm -hmm. right? If you are the priest and you're carrying the Ark of the Covenant into the Jordan River, you look really strange. It looks like you're waiting with the most sacred item in all of Israel's history. Um, so there's this part where we step out. So I think that's why it feels funny, is you do have to step out, yeah. and it will seem awkward. And the, again, we use that term transrational. I just I want to be more and more comfortable with things. I, I don't want to be irrational in my faith, but I want to be comfortable with things that I don't completely understand, mm-hmm. is, and that's okay. Additional thought would be this. When you're thinking of yourself, whenever you're involved in a spiritual language, I think we're missing the point because Paul is very clear that when someone speaks in a glossa, a spiritual mm-hmm. language, they speak to God, not to men. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm thinking about me, like it's coming back to me, which right. is something that we all as human beings struggle with. I, I, if I can think, oh, God is the audience. So one example with that might mm-hmm. be something like this. If you, um, let's say that you were studying French. Okay, and you went to France, and I think um, lots of people have opinions about what the French are like. I haven't spent enough time there to confirm or deny, but um, from what I've heard, it would be this: if you made the attempt to speak in French, even if it was terrible French, but you're showing an effort, mm-hmm. like I'm in your la- your country, I'm going to speak your language, that there would be a receptivity. They might be like, "Oh, he, you know." like slaughtered the the enunciation, like it was terrible, but he's trying to speak French. Right. And a French person would just appreciate the effort. I wonder if when we speak in a spiritual language, we're speaking to God, mm-hmm. and it might be a little bit messy. Sure. But God's God's like saying like, hey, you're trying to speak my language. Yeah. Like I love that. Yeah. And so there's like an appreciation, and, and, and then maybe there's a coaching that happens, and God says, hey, well, let me help you with that. Like let's become more and more fluent. Yeah. In this language, as time goes on, yeah. In the in the context of s- spiritual languages, there's that portion in Acts when we see the day of Pentecost happen, and 
there's that moment, there's that scripture where they talk about, hey, I heard, I heard them talking in my language. Do you see, or is there a pattern or a difference between this, this word glossa, where it's a spiritual language that's for God, and then a spiritual language that other people can't, like, for, I guess my, to even just distill it down, when I'm, when I'm praying in a spiritual language, am I praying in a known language? Like if I went somewhere else, would somebody be able to, oh, that's, that's Mandarin, you know, or something like that? Yeah. Or is it, is it completely otherly? Do we have any... So it is not as clear as I think most of us would like. But as I mentioned three weeks ago, it appears to me the best of my ability to understand this whole spiritual language is there's three distinct types, okay? Um, what Paul is mainly talking about in 1 Corinthians 14, he is talking about a spiritual language that is spoken to God. Mm-hmm. And whether that's a known language or not, I don't know. I, I've i never, you know, like spoken a language that sounded anything familiar to any place in the world yeah. I've ever visited. Yeah. Um, so that's one type. And is it a known language or not? I, I, I would tend to think not, but I don't know. Right. Um, and then like Acts chapter 2, the second type would be what I would call a missionary language where you're speaking in a language that somebody else understands. Now, what we don't know is where's the miracle? Is it happening on behalf of the person that's speaking right. or on the hearer? Right. Is the hearer hearing something different than what you're speaking, right? right. right. So now in that still, I occasionally hear stories about this from missionaries. Mm-hmm. It, it's infrequent. Yep. I wish it happened more often. Yep. Then the third type would be, uh, you speak out loud in a language, and whether that's a human language or a spiritual language, I don't think we know, yeah. but someone interprets it. Right. So it's out loud for the church, and somebody interprets it. And that's what Paul's emphasizing over and over. Please do things that help build people up. Yeah. Your spiritual language builds you up. Yeah. These other types should be influencing right. others in, in, a, in an edification-type manner. Yeah, yeah. Towards the end of the the message you had talked about having two types of experiences and you know for for some people when you're diving into this world of spiritual gifts or or things that I like the way you phrase this they're you don't fully understand them but I'm still going to try and become I'm still going to step into it I'm still going to try and be as comfortable as I can even though my understanding might not be complete surrounding what's happening you challenged us to make sure we have both in our life that we're <clears throat> there are things that we're stepping into that are heavy in the spiritual realm that we're going. You know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna be a part of this, even though it might make me uncomfortable, or it might be different, or I don't fully understand it. And then the other side of that would be, I'm gonna do things that I understand that I that are very cerebral that I can wrap my mind around. How would you encourage to begin to build both of those things into their lives? Maybe somebody is heavy on the cerebral side. Mm-hmm. That's probably where I would tend to land. Is in I, I like to think about things and process them and concepts, et cetera, et cetera. And if I don't understand it, I don't really want <laughs> want to be a part of it. So how would you challenge someone like me to step towards things that say, hey, you might not fully understand it, so here's some next steps for you. And then vice versa, for somebody who might just be really comfortable in these areas of unknown and they're less concrete, how would you challenge them to take steps towards, um, for lack of a better term, maybe a more logical yeah. Expression. Well, Jordan, really good question, and I think it's vitally important for us to to stretch ourselves in this area. So Paul uses that really interesting phrase in First Corinthians fourteen, 
where he says, when, when I speak in a spiritual language, my mind is unfruitful. Right. <laughs> right? Yeah. And to anybody who's logical, that's just a terrifying thing. Like, mm-hmm. I always want my mind to be fruitful. Mm-hmm. And then he says, but when I am um, praising, he uses praise and prayer in a known language, my mind is fruitful. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Paul, but he, even though he has strong correction on their use of tongues, he never says stop. He just says, let's be orderly. Mm-hmm. He wants them to pursue that, but he also wants them to pursue this, this engagement of your mind. And so, uh, as I mentioned, you know, I think even churches often divide into this. There's some that are really cerebral, and then there are some churches that are very emotive. Mm-hmm. And I think the majority of North Americans would kind of gravitate towards more of the cerebral, mm-hmm. like because there's all this incredible and beautiful truth contained in the, the 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 story of Jesus and the history of the Bible and it shapes your worldview and helps you understand what's happening and that's absolutely necessary but we're also spiritual beings i think this comes back to even the idea that we're triune god is triune right there's father son spirit and with human life there's the physical part of us and then there's the um spiritual part of us and then there's this whole mind, will, emotions, our soul. You know, it'd be more like your personality. And so I think even a balanced faith includes the whole of who you are, mm-hmm. all three parts, mm-hmm. in your pursuit of God. Mm-hmm. And so your mind, there is, there are so many great books out there. <laughs> we we live two thousand years of incredible believers who have gone before us, who have left us things, they've written things down, they've had experiences. And so that is important. Um, on the other hand, like I realize my soul, like it, it needs help. And my soul, I may know something is true intellectually, but emotionally, I may not actually believe that. Mm. You know, I may believe that Jesus has forgiven me what happened on the cross. Like I, I could point to the verses that say that, but I still might be living in shame, mm-hmm. right? So what I believe doesn't always... Um, override what's broken in me. And then this, Paul says, it's your spirit speaking. So how can we engage all three aspects of who we are in our pursuit of Jesus? So um, I think if if somebody will start with maybe what might be the minority, if somebody had a tendency to be a little bit more um, on the emotive side of things, and they really enjoy that, and that's beautiful. And for some of us, like emotions are just like make us nervous. But <laughs> like you know, that, uh, like I have so many friends that like they never mention I love the teaching. They just love worship. I think they come to church because they have this connection with God, and they're feeling things, and they're like mm-hmm. celebratory. So one of the ways I try to keep a balance is I read things that I'm uncomfortable with. You know, books that stretch my mind. Um, Ways of pursuing God, spiritual practices that mm-hmm. bring discipline to my mind. Uh, y- you took the lead uh, some time ago on our practices book. And what I love about that that little booklet, which I think is still available, yeah. Yeah, yeah, is that there are some things that engage like you at a soulish spiritual level and some things that engage you at a truth mm-hmm. um, level. And so I think stretching yourself, right? Yeah. You can't turn off your mind and be a passionate follower of Jesus. You have to be responsible to understand truth, mm-hmm. right? We, I think if that was our whole realm, spiritual, emotive, soulish faith, we could easily be deceived. Mm-hmm. I think this is where, if you ever wonder, like, how do weird cults succeed? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. You know, like, yeah. How does somebody bizarre. decide yeah. that they are the son of God and yep. get them to move with them to another country right. and get yep. them all to do you know crazy things? Well, it's those people who are like, they feel something profound and I can feel something profound, but if it's not true, I've got to be able to identify mm-hmm. that. Then on the other side, for those of us who might be more on the intellectual side, like, no, I, I, I want my mind to be fruitful. I think stretching ourselves. And I, I, I always find it interesting how we do church. Okay, the New Testament never leaves behind a template for what you're supposed to do when you gather together. We have some hints and some clues, right. and there's singing mentioned, and there's teaching mentioned, and there's you know, words being spoken prophetically to people. Um, but in many ways, I think I love that we still have this 20 minutes of worship mm-hmm. because there's truth in the words of the songs. Mm-hmm. And we're always trying, trying to be really careful. There are some, some Christian songs that are like theologically bankrupt, yep. but man, they have a great feel, <laughs> <Yeah>. right? <laughs> yep. right? So there's truth in the songs, but I think music is one of those things. Yeah. So I have a buddy right now. And he's just a great guy. I mean, this guy, he is serious about following the Lord. And it came to me, um, and like he, I could tell like he's feeling really guilty about something. And this is what he said. He goes, Nate, I love Jesus. I love a church. Worship, I just don't get it. I don't feel anything. I don't sense anything. And I, I know him well enough that I've watched him during church, and he just you know, stares at the screens yeah. and like, yeah. I can't wait for this to be over. Yeah. And he's standing next to his wife who loves <laughs> worship, right? And and so we talked about it. Okay, well, maybe there's some things that you can engage with. So he's stretching himself. The Bible's filled with all these things that I think help us to experience God. Mm-hmm. Uh, like you raise your hands. Uh, you put your hands out in front of you. Mm-hmm. you. When you raise your hands, you're saying, God, I surrender to mm-hmm. you. And that's moving beyond. You're making a decision intellectually, but you're also like, so the podcast people can't see me right now, but I got my hands in the air. Right. Like you do that when you're surrendering, right? right? Uh, I put my hands out in front of me sometimes. That's like, God, I am in deficit and I need to receive something from you. You bow down and you worship. Sometimes I think if you can bring your body into it, yeah. Like okay, it's so we're not all about sensations and feelings, but a, a Christianity that was bankrupt of emotion. Here's the danger with that: it becomes dry, mm-hmm. it becomes fairly empty, mm-hmm. it becomes the per, about the pursuit of truth. Well, I don't want just my mind involved in following Jesus. Mm-hmm. I want the emotional part of who I am, the soulish, the spiritual part of Him engaged yeah. fully. Yeah, and I, that's really interesting too because I've experienced that personally where. And there's correlations all over the place where sometimes I don't I don't feel something, but the act of doing, of of putting my body in motion is actually almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like it it oh. generates the emotion. I mean, even in, in my marriage, there's nights where I see a pile of dishes and I'm going, I really don't feel like serving my wife by doing these dishes. <laughs> it's definitely my turn. But in the act of doing it anyways, by putting my body in motion, the the emotions sometimes, you know, They'll trail. They'll come, oh, I'm, I'm really, those emotions change. And, and I, I have experienced that even in worship too, personally, where it's like, you know, I'm not engaged or I'm not there, but then using a posture, using a physical posture, even when you're not feeling it, can 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 change that. That's a really well good perspective. Said. Yeah. Well said. Regarding prophecy, so that'd be this last weekend, you gave this list, prophecy is intended to strengthen, to encourage, to comfort, convict, expose, Edify and build up. 
And we've seen through the years people abusing their ability to speak on God's behalf. I'm sure there's countless stories of people – I mean, you even kind of made a comment about the the year of YouTube prophets, right? <laughs> yeah. And you know, I even remember a couple of years ago, there was a video that got sent around, and this person was – claiming that Jesus was going to return. I think it was on September 23rd of 2019. Yeah. And I had a friend send it to me and they asked, is this true? Is God, is God coming? Is Jesus returning on September 23rd? And so there's an imbalance sometimes of people's feeling like, oh, I have the... I mean, you even mentioned cults. <laughs> yeah. I am the voice of God, and that could become an abuse of power. So my questions would be, there's a, this is a two-part question. In regard to that list and in regard to our role to help bring God's, you know, to be God's mouthpiece, you say be the hands, feet, and mouthpiece of Jesus. So number one, first part of the question, how do you as the speaker carefully navigate that, that balance, that tension of not overstepping, but also being bold enough to speak up and communicate in a way that isn't heavy handed or misplaced? And then second, so I can... repeat these later too. How do you, as the listener, you you talked about testing, how do you actually test and receive what someone has shared if they come to you and say, hey, you know what? I feel like God is asking me to say this to you. Or maybe it's even overt. I am the voice of God. How do you, how do you test those things? Yeah. Even in the context of this person, luckily I was in a place that I could (laughs) actually test. I go, I don't, I don't think that particular YouTube prophet is accurate about Jesus returning on September 23rd, 2019. Proof is <laughs> shown that. But so number one, how do you navigate that as the speaker, not being heavy handed, but still being bold? And then number two, how do you as a receiver test and, and receive? Okay. So Jordan, I, I think some of the misunderstanding in the church is we often... Um, talk about, hey, what are my spiritual gifts, right? And then we only do the things that we think we have gifts mm-hmm. of, like, yeah. I've got the gift of prophecy. I actually think that there's an office gift, which Paul writes about later, that there's pastors and teachers and administrators and prophets and evangelists, like that type of thing. Um, so there have been times I've, I've interacted with people. I have a, a friend in Washington who I would say, like, that is his dominant gift, and he actually has a place in the church. Like, uh, hopefully I would have a teaching gift. He has a prophetic gift. And I can't tell you how many times he's had these word pictures that he lays out that are incredibly poignant and like deep insight. <laughs> um, the church I grew up in, my dad was my pastor for many years. <laughs> we had this guy that came once a year and he functioned in this gift like as an, the office of the prophet. And Jordan, if anybody hasn't experienced this, you just wouldn't believe it. He'd come in. He didn't know anybody in the church. We'd pray and worship. He'd read a couple of scriptures, and then he would start looking at people in the room <laughs> that he didn't know, and the intricacies of the, the details of their lives. And here's what I loved about him, though: he never said, "And you're supposed to, you know, leave your job and move to Australia." You, you, like it wasn't directive like that. It was God giving him a, maybe it would be even a word of knowledge <laughs> about something this person was going through, what they were struggling with. Things that none of us who knew those people would. So that gift can be operative. But Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 is asking everybody to be prophetic, which our definition would be we're speaking, we're hearing, and then speaking on behalf of God to other people. Right. 
So I always want to be super cautious. I do not have like an office gift of the prophet, <laughs> um, but I want everything I say to be significant. So one would be a profound, if it's you who's speaking, a profound sense of humility. Mm-hmm. So one of the prayers mm-hmm. I pray every time before I teach is this. I pray this, God, less of me and more of you. My preference would be that nobody remembers the speaker because the speaker is simply a conduit, but people hear the message because that's what's sacred. Mm -hmm. And so I think if you think, like, I think I've got something on behalf of God, as little attention is placed on you, deep humility. You don't have to be apologetic, right? So if, Jordan, I'm looking at you and I just felt like the Lord had a message, I'm not going to apologize, but I'm going to say it in a way that's going to be normal and it's going to be in love, okay? So I think then again, this whole idea in love helps us with the prophetic yeah, gift. Yeah. Paul mentions it at the beginning, the whole chapter, part of their abuse of spiritual gifts is they just don't love each other. Mm-hmm. So they're just doing things to each other, right? <laughs> like, like hey, you, you know, it's just kind of like an, it's, it's a type of spiritual violence, actually, is what's happening. So if if what I'm saying, I want to gauge it, is this in love? Now, it doesn't mean that it's always the kindest thing, Sometimes you can speak prophetically into someone's life and it can be a call to repentance for mm-hmm. them, but it's because you love them. Mm-hmm. Like God loves you. It's not like, hey, you know, like you're going to get hit by a bus, but it's God loves you and he knows that there's something in your life that is completely out of line. And in love, you can say, he's calling you back. Mm-hmm. He's calling you to change your ways. So, uh, context of love, humility, and then how do you. How do you test? That's such a good question. So, Jordan, in the Old Testament, the book's written before Jesus, if a prophet said something and it didn't come about, guess what their punishment was? Death. (laughs) Pretty extreme. (laughs) Execution, right? Yeah. So, you know, even that makes me feel a little bit bit humbled. So God actually gives that right. Like, if there's some guy who's a prophet and he's a false prophet, you throw rocks at him until he dies. Um, So... I want to test, you know, always be looking for somebody's character. Um, God uses people who have sketchy character, right? That's disturbing, but I'm also grateful because mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> my character is not yet fully formed. Right. And thank goodness he can still use me, mm-hmm. right? But if if I find somebody in, and I'm looking at their life, and you, you mentioned the cult thing, well, somebody like, man, they're not living like Jesus, and they're trying to tell me what to do. I'm probably not going to pay attention mm-hmm. to that. The second thing was it's got to line up with Scripture because Scripture is prophetic, yep. right? And so if, if 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 somebody's saying something and you're like, that stands in opposition yep. to the nature of God, yep. to the instructions I have, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reject that. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to reject that. Um, I think that most prophetic things are harmonious with what God is already doing in your life. Mm. Like He's telling you, mm. and most of the time... This is like an affirmation. Yeah. Okay, so an example might be, um, Jordan, you're being stirred. You're supposed to move into missions. And I have this sense that Lord's telling me, hey, Jordan, he's fearful right now. God says, I- I've got something for you. I yeah. want you to take a big step of obedience. I didn't mention the missions part, but you'd already been struggling with it. And it's like, oh, wow, God just edified me right. through giving me the boldness to make a big step. Um how else can we test them? I I mentioned this, I think, in our services, but Jordan, I don't think you have to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So 
because there's human beings and God yeah. is choosing to speak through human beings, some things they say might be a little bit like, eh, but at the heart of it could be something really profound that you need to hear. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to be so into the, uh, I'm testing this prophecy, right. and like I reject the whole thing. I think as people are learning the language of God, they'll probably make some mistakes. Mm-hmm. And so I bet everything that would be spoken prophetically, there's a percentage that's that person, and there's a percentage of God. And the test is, I'm going to get rid of that per- that percentage that's the person and try to find the part that's God in yeah. there. So I, I actually practice this. I get um, occasionally uh, like emails that are critical or letters that are critical. Yeah. And it's offensive, right? And so my tendency is like, put it in, I've got a file I call the weird file. It's pretty big <laughs> after all these years. <laughs> but my tendency is I'm going to read through everything that's critical and ask the Lord, Lord, is there anything in this that I need to pay attention to? Mm. And you mentioned the year 2020 was weird. I got so many of those. Like, you're doing everything wrong. You know, you are this, that. But I'd read them all and I'd say, God, is there anything in here? I, I just don't want to reject it because I find this offensive. Right. Like, maybe you want to tell me something. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to get rid of the parts that say, you're an idiot. I don't think God would tell me that. Right. <laughs> that you're a coward. Right. No, I don't think I'm a coward. Yep. Um, but there could be something in that that I think, okay, yeah, I need to chew on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and also like that, that processing. I, I just mentioned chew on it. I think whenever anything is given to you, so I, I've seen so many abuses. You've seen so many abuses. Um, I've had guys who have gone up to women and say, "The Lord told me you're supposed to be my wife." Yeah, <laughs> you know, they don't even know this gal. Right. She looks right. at him like, "Yeah, right, yeah. right." Yeah. So you you know, I think you want to be cautious and you want to weigh how much of this is me. Okay, right. she's pretty, and you're a single dude. Right. Okay, yep. was that really God or was that you? And you want to use God as a cover right. for your cowardice. Yep. Instead of asking her on a date and trying to win her heart and court her, and you, you're like, God did it. Yep. So now she's obligated. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> so you want to make sure you're not using this gift for your personal benefit. Right, right. Yeah, that's, that's I mean, there's been so many weird stories like that of people just trying to manipulate the voice, but I, but I love that all of this is centered th- through the lens of love, and so I love the, even that as a as a testing point of is this coming from a place of love or even from I mean there's there's the story of the guy who you know nobody really knows the guy and he just comes in he's got a word of knowledge but I think some of the people <clears throat> that maybe we would invite voices in would hopefully be people that we trust you know mm-hmm. that you know where it's coming from you know their heart for you is is to build you up and to edify you. And so if they are saying something that stings, hopefully it's coming from somebody that, oh man, they love me. They're not just saying this to tear me down. They're saying it for my bed. Hopefully, hopefully that's that's the case. It just reminds me of something. Um, I have a friend who is very like forward aggressive person. It's actually a female. and, um, And I really do think she speaks prophetically, but oftentimes she's kind of rude and mean about it. And so I talked to her about it. I said, some of what you're saying I think is really good, but the way you say it is so harsh and people feel condemned. And she said, well, I can't help it. I'm prophetic. Hmm. <laughs> no, wait a minute. You just mentioned love. So it may be a harsh truth, but if it's not delivered in love, then you know it just becomes damaging mm-hmm. rather than edifying. Right. It's hard for people to receive it 
Yeah. So one of the one of the things that you said before was the words of God. I love it, I love this phrasing. I wrote it down. The words of God can create life where there is no life. The words of God can create order where there's disorder. And I I think I heard somebody say this. It might have even been you that prophecy is more about speaking life into something and seeing God potential in his situations. And so, what are some ways that we can begin to be people who I'm going to use this phrase shape the future by using our words with the intentionality of a prophet. Mm-hmm. It, and if we are eagerly to desire prophecy, if, you know, because Paul even says, I'd rather you say five words of prophecy than a million words in your spiritual language. So if we eagerly desire that, are there are there ways that we can take steps towards, okay, I want to try this. I want to, and, and maybe it's even, you know, changing some of our perspective into, oh, I see some potential in you. Well, often that's that's uncovering something like you said. Yeah. Maybe this person's wrestling with that. And so speaking that encouragement might be just enough of what they need to release that God-given potential or to help them take that next step. So how do we how do we begin to maybe even reframe our minds and take this weight? Because sometimes I think that the word prophecy is also mm-hmm. carried with the baggage of the future. <laughs> Are you speaking, do you know what's going to happen? Well, no, but sometimes it's I can see so much potential in you, and I want to speak that life into you. Can you help us take steps toward practicing practicing that uh, facet of it? Yeah, Jordan, can I, I'm going to begin with an example. Um, I'll, I'll just try to be pretty vulnerable and raw here. Some people may have heard me talk about this a little bit. Um, I, I was the oldest of five kids, and I have a, a younger brother who's brilliant, brilliant, and I remember, like, I was probably in third grade where we were doing homework at home, and I realized that he was doing the same homework I was, and I was in, a like, a special needs learning class, and he was in what they called back then tag, talented, and gifted. <laughs> and, I mean, something crept into my soul that I was dumb. Hmm. Jordan, I am, I'm, I'm in third grade. I don't know, what are you, 10 or something in third grade? And you know what? I just bought it. I bought it, and I got through school. I was a hard worker, you know. I, but I, I never even – it never occurred to me that I could have a fruitful mind, that I just thought, oh, I'm, I'm the dumb one, you know. Um, a prophetic moment happened. When you talk about speaking something into existence, it's my freshman year of college. I write a paper for my philosophy professor. His name was Dr. Buckingham, and he wrote, like, I can see it. This is a long time ago. At the top, he wrote, you have a very sharp mind. Keep thinking and keep reading. Jordan, like, I had tears come to my eyes. I, I, like, I'm, a, I'm an 18-year-old young man who's gone the opposite way. I'm going to pride myself in athletics and all of this. And it was like God dropped something in that moment written on the piece of paper on top of a paper I had written that you had a fruitful mind. And it was like God confirmed something that I never thought was even a possibility. And for the first time in my life, I'm like, maybe I do have a fruitful mind. And I started studying and like graduated with honors, went to graduate school. And that was a professor. So I like people to think about prophetic could even be something like that. It's something, if you're a teacher, something you're right at the top of somebody's page. And I went from a void in my life to life was created there. Right. 
And it's, you know, thriving today. I'm not the sharpest person around, but I I don't self-doubt anymore Mm -hmm. that I could figure that out. And I just love the idea that the Bible opens up with God speaking into the chaos, Mm -hmm. and he's speaking where there's no life for life. It's The creation story is about organization and bringing things together. And even then, you come to the book of John, John chapter 1, there's no nativity scene, there's no shepherds, there's no wise men, but John starts the book off retelling the creation story to a Greek people. He says, in the beginning was the word, the logos, the ultimate truth, and the word was with God, and the word was God, it was with God in the beginning, in him was the light, and that light was the life of all mankind. And he goes on to say that God is recreating the world, and he uses the term logos, which is sacred word, Mm -hmm. or ultimate truth is how the Greeks would refine it. So I just think there's this beautiful thing, if there's one gift that Paul wants, he wants the creating work of God to still be happening through people. Speaking to people who have a deficit, a Mm -hmm. hole, a pain, that God still wants to create. He still wants to speak creation into people's lives. And it is so humbling that he would use us to do it. It's a heavy responsibility. Mm -hmm. But again, that's where I come back to, okay, it's not me being profound. This is me simply being a conduit. Yep. Because God's words create life. My words don't. Right. My words can tear down and destroy and hurt or maybe temporarily encourage someone if things are going well. But it's 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 a Professor Buckingham writing something like yeah. that. I don't know. I don't know if he had any idea what he was doing. Right. But God was speaking through him. I was at a place of receptivity. Um, I talked a lot, so I'm going to have to reread your question. How can we begin to shape the future by using our words uh, with the intentionality of a prophet? Are there practical steps? Yeah, I, 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 two things, Jordan. I would say maybe these are anti-steps. One, <laughs> yeah, um, one of the problems I think that we have in our culture and in the church is we're cynical mm-hmm. and um, fairly judgmental. I think these things have always been a part of the church. I see a, a real tension with them right now. So when I look at somebody who's broken, when I look at somebody who's made a mistake, and the first thing I think is, judgment towards them, or I think cynicism towards the situation. Here's what I've done. I've just removed myself from the situation to become a critic Mm -hmm. and an observer. I think one of the ways that you can begin to practice this is you enter into people's Mm -hmm. stories, Mm -hmm. right? You enter into their lives, you enter into their pain. If I just look back and I go, oh, that addict, oh, that person affiliated with that political party, I am removed. And that means I have nullified my voice. But when we can move towards people, right, so often I think I'm open to what God would say to someone if I understand what they're going through. Right. So it's when you sit down and you feel their pain and like, this is God's heart for this person right now. This is a scripture that's coming to mind for them right now. But if I'm in the the, the stands as a, a critic and I'm watching as an observer and I like, I've got my little way of doing things. So I think it takes an openness and then practice, right? (laughs) Practice, couple it with love, couple it with humility, start to say things, don't make it, you know, like, thus saith God, but hey, I just have this sense, I was praying for you, Mm -hmm. and this this verse came to me, and uh, I just wrote it down on a card, I want to give it to you. I think that's a great first step. Yeah. 
Well, and that's, uh, that's, that's really interesting because even as you were sharing getting closer to people, I think that's been – that brought into, into my mind specific situations where I've experienced moments like that, and it was because I was close. I was close to the pain. I was close to the heartache. And so as I'm listening, as I'm there, then a scripture would just pop into my mind or I would feel like, oh, this, I feel like I, I need to say this. And sometimes it's just sitting there and being there, you know, yeah. but the times that I've – that I can remember having a moment like that where I'm able to speak life into somebody, they seem to be closer (laughs) than just some casual observer off in the distance, which brings me to my next question. And and one of my last two questions, Um, in my experience, sometimes prophecy has simply been the ability to see where things are going. If there aren't course corrections, right? It's like, you're able to go, hey, your pattern, your rhythm of life is going to lead you to destruction. And you even see that throughout the Old Testament is a lot of mm-hmm. times the prophets are going, listen, look at what God has said. He's already said this. You're doing the opposite. Let's put two and two. I mean, sometimes it's simple math on, on some level. And then the other side if of prophecy can be, you know, seeing that course correction and saying, hey, here's the potential. Look at what could happen with that adjustment. So... For me personally, I've I've had to grow. This is this is a point of growth where I can see things that I feel I need to talk about. Oh, and some maybe it's that even cynical perspective where from an outside perspective, oh, that logical course, I should say something. I need to be the person who speaks up. Well, if nobody else is going to say something, mm-hmm. I will. Has been a tendency, and then you come off as that guy who just wow, that person has a criticism of everything I do. And obviously, heart issue and stuff like that. So. How do you balance, you, you talked to you, one of your, your final points was speak up, speak up, speak up. How do you, and we, we covered this a little bit, but how do you, even from a distance, balance speaking up with knowing when to be quiet, mm. knowing when it's your place and when it's not? Yeah, great question. Uh, you know, something, Jordan, I have been trying to practice more and more is a listening prayer. Okay, so... I don't know about you, but most of the time when I pray, I've got plenty of things to say, plenty of things I think God should do. My prayers are often suggestions for Him, <laughs> which I don't think is the healthiest form of prayer. Yeah. Like, God, you need to do something about yeah. this and yep. this, in case yep. you didn't notice. Yep. Um, I think there's a tendency for things to be more prophetic when I I listen. You know, I, I'm listening. Mm. There are, from media from everything that happens on the internet, we have more, we're facing something that the human race has never faced, an onslaught of information. Um, there are so many opinions, so many voices. Just think, if, if we were living 3,000 years ago in a village, you know, 90% of people lived in an agrarian lifestyle, you listen to like the couple wise old men and the old woman in the village, and then you talk to your friends. Now we have like all these perspectives. And I think the noise, then we start to keep pace with that. And I've got to have opinions about everything. Um, And I do think we want to think carefully. But when it comes to uh, something that is is significant or potential crisis or challenge in somebody's life, if I listen first, it keeps me from just shooting off my mouth Mm -hmm. and saying what I think. Mm -hmm. Okay, most of the time I have an opinion on what people should do. Okay, so one of the things people do to me all the time right. is they come to me like, should I move? Should right. I marry right. her? I should I, yeah, like, what job? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I have opinions, right. but I'm never going to speak my opinion to someone. 
And so even if you prayed with me down front, um, I'll just stop and we'll be quiet for a while. And part of what I am doing during that quiet time is I'm trying to dismiss and cipher out my opinions. I don't want them. I don't want them. That's not what this person needs. They don't need Nate's opinion. <laughs> and listen and just see, God, what is your heart? That's my prayer. Like, what would you say? Here's a question I ask myself all the time. It, a little bit different than, you know, the, the wristbands everybody used to wear. What would Jesus yeah, do? Yeah. But it's a similar question. What would Jesus do right now? Hmm. And, and like you go back and look at all these interactions where Jesus listened. I mean, we could go to uh, Jesus at, at the well with a Samaritan woman. There's a series of questions that he asks. And it's not just, he could have told her like right up front, right? Hey, here's what you need to do. In fact, he never tells her what, what she needs to do. He, he asks questions. Mm-hmm. Hey, where's your husband? Mm-hmm. I don't have a husband. That's right, Jesus says. You don't have a husband. You've actually had a few, and the guy you're living with right now isn't your husband. She's like, what? You, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> yeah, it's right. But then the whole purpose is directed to this, this moment where Jesus says, you're here to get water out of this well. But the problem with that is you're always going to be thirsty, and you're always going to have to come back. There's a water that can quench the thirst of your soul. And, and I think Jesus is relating these, these, all these men who have been your husbands and the man you're living with. You have a need that is profound, and you mm. think you find it in human companionship with a man. Well, it, what you need is so much more profound. Mm-hmm. And I'm here. I'm here to quench the thirst of your soul. So the, Jesus in prophecy, you'll notice he asks questions yeah. as much as he talks. Yeah. There are large sections where he teaches in a didactic fashion, but most of the time Jesus asks a question. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to move into the prophetic. Yeah. Well, tell me more about that. Yeah. How are you feeling? Also, now I begin to get engaged. Yep. I have time to pause and hear God. I'm yep. not just going with my opinion or what mm-hmm. I read that day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Okay. No, that's great. Seriously. Um, okay. Final question, Nate, would be is on these topics. The there's there's so much. You know, you talked about all the different viewpoints that could be there. It's it's just vast. Is there anything that in those two messages? you didn't have time to say or you wish you could have said? Oh, man, Jordan, all of it, I, every single week I feel like, oh, I wish I could have hit this or touched on that. And I, Here's part of the challenge with our community. I think there are people who are well-versed in this, and there's probably, it might even be the majority who are like, I don't know anything about this. This mm-hmm. is like a first-time exposure right. as we talk through this. And I don't know how much of that is my fault as the teaching pastor, but... But I do wish I could have answered the question how mm-hmm. a little bit more. So both with spiritual languages and then also with the prophetic. So in particular with spiritual languages, um, I've had quite a few people say, well, that's interesting. I'm trying to stay open. Yeah. Um, how do I do that? Well, there's the Bible rarely has formulas. <laughs> Most theologians mm-hmm. want it to have formulas. Right. But if you read through the book of Acts, there's multiple instances where somebody... Um, speaks in a spiritual language, um, something you'll see a few times, two, maybe three times, is someone else lays hands on them and prays for them to receive that. Yep. But then you also have times where people just like just started speaking in right. another language. Right. So I wish there was a clear-cut formula. I think if you're at that place and you say, hey, I want to be open to it, just keep asking. Yeah. Uh, my wife, um, 
when we first met, we were dating. She came from a very different tradition where these type of spiritual gifts just were non-existent. Yeah. And she she read a book, and she was in a room, and she was on her knees praying. And this is before we were married even. And um, she just started speaking a spiritual language. <laughs> Nobody was there. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't think there's a formula, but I think it's seeking. Yeah. I think it's staying very open. Yeah. I think it's dealing with what we talked about in your first question. Is yeah. like, is this just me? Right. It's like, this is my spirit talking to God. God is my audience. I am not the audience. I'm not going to be a critic of what comes out of my mouth. Yeah. And then even Paul says this. Okay, there, there's also a lot of people... Who like I would I like I'm open to that gift and people have prayed for me about the gift and it's just never happened and they carry this sense of guilt right right oh that breaks my heart yep. I've talked to a bunch of people like that yep listen Paul was a really good pastor and in First Corinthians he says I wish you all spoke in tongues in his own church not everybody spoke in tongues right. some people spoke in tongues way too much mm-hmm. but there are people who didn't have it so please if you don't yet have that gift. And I use the word yet on purpose, meaning hopeful and keep the expectation. Please do not feel like there's some sort of spiritual deficit in your life because then we're making the same mistakes that the Corinthians made. This is the ultimate form or display of spirituality. No, no, no. It's a gift. I guarantee you have gifts. And you might be surprised. There's a great book. Maybe I give a a couple of uh, references. Um, A guy named Jack Deere. Uh, He was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. I actually got to meet him. He was out on a fishing trip here once. Dallas Theological Seminary is traditionally a cessationist school where the gifts of the Spirit no longer exist now that we have the Bible. And read his book. I think it's called Surprised by the Spirit. So he's a professor in a school. He has this experience. He begins speaking in the spiritual language, and he eventually loses his job over it, right? But it's a great book because he has to struggle through his own intellectual, like, this can't be real. Like, I'm a professor. I'm too reasonable for this. And so his outcome is actually quite brilliant and refreshing. So that book, there's a book called The Beauty of Spiritual Languages by Jack Hayford. It was written some time ago, but a really good book. Um, And those would probably be the top two I'd recommend recommend right now. Awesome. Yeah. Great. (laughs) Thank you, Jordan. Thank you, Nate. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, would you share it with someone? We'd also love to hear from you. I read all the emails that come in and respond to them myself. You can reach us at podcast at faithchapel.cc. Looking forward to hearing from you.